Next, this month's special series focus on geriatric medicine and aging. ReachMD talks to experts about new thinking and innovations in the treatment of conditions of the aging body and mind. With many people maintaining active sex lives well into their 80s and HIV and sexually transmitted illnesses steadily increasing in the older population, how can physicians approach their patients on the formerly taboo topic of safe sex in the elderly? With me today is Dr. Stacy Tesler-Lindau, Assistant Professor of OBGYN and Internal Medicine Geriatrics at the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Lindau. Thank you. Today, we're going to discuss sexual activity and health in older adults. And uh, Dr. Lindau, you did a very impressive study that was published about a year ago in the New England Journal of Medicine about sexual activity in adults age 57 to 85. What did that tell us about activity in this age group? Well, what we found is that the majority of older adults, people ages 57 to 85, is sexually active. Older women are less likely to be sexually active than older men, and this is primarily because older women tend to outlive their marriages and live longer than men, so it's harder for them to find a partner. That makes sense. So the majority of people in this age group are active, and are there other determinants of how active patients in this age group are? Well, other than having a partner, there's some important determinants. And what we find for several aspects of sexual functioning, not just sexual activity, is that overall health or specific medical problems may be more important predictors of whether or not an individual is sexually active than age alone. So kind of an age-based screening for determining whether or not to talk to patients about sexual activity doesn't work so well. So we can't just rely on age. Is there some correlation with age and activity? Certainly there is, an, there is a correlation with age, and this is a cross-sectional study, but we can compare groups of people by age group. And when we look at the oldest age group, the 74, 75 to 85-year-olds, the overall prevalence of sexual activity is lower among men and women as compared to younger men and women, and it's higher among men in all of the age groups than it was among women in the, all the age groups. But it sounds like we should, as uh, healthcare providers, be focusing perhaps a little more in patients who have other comorbidities. Well, when it comes to thinking about the relevance of a person's sexual function in terms of maybe starting a new medication or whether to treat somebody with a surgical procedure or treat them with medicine, we really need to ask patients, are you sexually active? Do you have a sexual partner? If you're not active now, do you think you'd like to be sometime down the road? We need to ask those questions to help include sexual functioning and sexuality in the counseling for the new treatments and procedures we might do rather than just assume because somebody's sick or somebody's elderly that they're not interested. So certainly to be very cognizant of any potential side effects of medications or procedures and make sure we delve into this. That's right. I mean, so many medications can have deleterious effects on sexual functioning. And certainly some of the more common surgical procedures, especially for women, say hysterectomy or having the ovaries removed or urogynecologic procedures, some of these procedures may actually improve sexual functioning. Some of them, we may have multiple options in terms of how we approach the procedure, and we might choose one or another depending on the relevance for the sexual functioning of the patient. And this is why we simply need to ask and open the doors of conversation with patients before prescribing medicines or, or prescribing treatments, we need to ask. Do we have any feel for how we are doing in this age group in terms of asking those questions? Are healthcare providers delving into this subject? 
the results from our study would indicate that we're not doing such a good job. And there are several other studies that unfortunately find the same. Men are more likely to talk to their physicians about issues of sexuality than women. Men are more likely to have a physician initiate these kinds of questions. And that may be because we have uh, sildenafil and other similar drugs that can treat male erection problems. But women in particular, especially women with chronic illness, for example, diabetes, are very unlikely to have a physician initiate discussion about sexuality with them in later life. And this really is unfortunate because the prevalence of sexual problems for older women is certainly not lower than it is for older men. Are there particular impediments to doctors and other healthcare providers asking about this? You know, I think ageism is a real issue. It's alive and well. What ageism means is that we discriminate against people by virtue of their age, or we have stereotypes about people by virtue of their age. And the general sense among physicians, and I think among the public, is that sexuality just simply isn't relevant for older people's lives. This research and the research of others would suggest that is simply not true. But if we as physicians and, and healthcare providers don't open the door for conversation, we'll never know, because what the research shows is that patients typically will not bring these issues up. They think they're important. They won't be embarrassed or ashamed or offended if the physician raises the issue, but they won't initiate the conversation. They need to be given permission that it's okay and relevant to talk about sexuality as a health issue. So we really have to initiate, ask, and be proactive about this subject, particularly in people in this age group. We do, and, and so that's easy to say. I mean, I know as a practicing physician that time is often much shorter than we would like when we're meeting with our patients, and sometimes patients come with multiple problems. Sometimes patients come with vague problems, and the real issue is sexuality. They're just not comfortable bringing it up. Mm-hmm. I think there's tremendous value in giving the patient permission to talk about sexual matters, in offering the patient some basic information about what's typical for people at, at their age, and that's why we did this study. This study gives us some information we can share with patients about what other people like them are doing or are experiencing. And there's great value in simply educating patients about their sexual part of their body and how how it works. I mean, many older adults didn't get good sex education. Frankly, many of our young adults aren't getting good sex education. And so physicians are often, I think, concerned that if they open this can of worms, they won't have much to offer the patient in the way of treatment or therapy but education and permission to talk about the issues and license to say that sexuality is important is found to be respectful by patients and can be very therapeutic in and of itself. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm discussing sexual activity and health in older adults with Dr. Stacy Tesser Lindau, Assistant Professor of OBGYN and Geriatrics at the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine. Dr. Lindau, along with sexual activity, I imagine we have to think about sexually transmitted diseases and even HIV. We certainly do, and I want to start by saying that we don't have great data on the prevalence of sexually transmitted infections among older adults, but I think it's fair to say we don't have an epidemic of most sexually transmitted infections among older adults. The truth is most sexual activity for older folks happens in the context of marriage and in the context of mutually monogamous relationships to the best of our knowledge. However, That does not mean we should exclude older adults from important public health messages about sexually transmitted infections that can be fatal, like HIV AIDS, or that can cause worry or bothersome problems, for example, herpes or human papillomavirus. 
older people are exposed to the public health messages that target younger adults and so wonder whether they're at risk, how to prevent the problems that might come from sexually transmitted infection, how to protect themselves, and so public health messages really ought to include this portion of the population. An interesting aspect of prevention is the question of how do we best prevent sexually transmitted infections for older people. Condom use or barriers, we have vaginal condoms, female condoms, we have the male condom, we have dental dams, are things we recommend for younger people to prevent sexually transmitted infections. These things haven't really been well tested in older adults. And for example, with the male condom, we teach younger people that a full erection should be attained before putting the condom on. Well, some older men don't get a full erection until midway through intercourse. And so whether the male condoms that work for younger men are ideal for older couples, also we have to take into account the dryness that can occur for older women in, in the environment of lower estrogen. We just don't know. And so I think we frankly have to talk with patients about this, and we may need to do some more research to find the best and most effective ways of preventing sexually transmitted infection among older adults. So again, as providers, we need to be proactive about sexual health, not just sexual activity. And are you involved or are you aware of other studies going on to start to answer some of the questions you posed? Well, I am in in the study that we reported on last August in the New England Journal of Medicine. We also collected data on human papillomavirus. Those data are are actively being analyzed and I expect should be publicly available soon. So we will have some information about that particular sexually transmitted infection. Mm -hmm. With regard to the others, gonorrhea, chlamydia, trichomonas, herpes. Herpes is probably one of the more prevalent sexually transmitted diseases among older adults, but we don't know to what degree those infections occurred earlier in life or occurred newly in later life, but that's still infectious and can be transmitted to new partners. Mm -hmm. The gonorrhea, chlamydia, trichomonas, We made a concerted decision not to test people for those things in our study. We only had 3,000 people, and we calculated that the false positive rate was likely to be higher than the true positive rate, which means we would have told many more people that they had these infections than actually had them. And then again, that gets to what we think is a relatively low prevalence in the older adult population. There are probably some pockets some communities where we would expect the risk for these things to be higher, and we need to do focused studies in those areas. Very interesting. And, you know, I do think in my own practice of the, I think, higher incidence of divorced men and women, and although you make a good point that the majority of sexual contact probably is in the context of monogamous relationships and marriage, sexual health is something that we do need to address with these patients more. Is there anything going on in terms of the public campaigns that, as you mentioned, target the younger population so actively? I am not aware of a widespread public campaign around sexually transmitted infections targeting older adults. There certainly is a major commercial campaign coming from the pharmaceutical industry that targets older adults for the use of the erectile dysfunction drugs. And these campaigns are targeted to both men and women. The question has been raised as to whether the use of drugs to promote erectile function might also promote the spread of sexually transmitted infection. You know, maybe men who are using these drugs are more likely to have sex in non-monogamous relationships. I think the claims about that relationship are quite speculative at this point. I don't think we have good evidence that the use of these drugs spreads infection, but I do think it would be responsible of the makers of these drugs to include some prevention messages in their advertising. 
I understand that you do a lot of teaching of medical students and other physicians about how to approach these topics with more mature adults. Do you have any specific suggestions for providers of ways that we can broach both activity and health concerns? The way that I talk to the medical students about this is first to try to dispel some of the ageist myths that we hold. Older people are younger people later in life. They may not look as young, but many older people have the same kinds of aspirations, desires, interests. Human beings want to be loved and desire close intimacy with other human beings. And so one of the challenges is simply to kind of see beyond maybe the gray hair and wrinkles that we see when we encounter our older patients. When it comes to having conversation, there are a number of models out there that have been described. One of the models talks about giving patients permission to talk about sexuality by saying, you know, your sexual life is an important part of your health. May I ask you a few questions about that just to make sure everything's going okay? Or do you currently have a sexual partner? Is your partner a male or female? Those kinds of questions that we're used to asking of younger people can be just as easily asked to older adults. Practice is important. I recommend, if you've never done it before, uh, taking an opportunity with a colleague to practice asking these questions. And usually they don't need a whole lot of preface or preamble. I think sometimes we try to excuse ourselves for asking these questions and it just makes the patient nervous or embarrassed. But just being straightforward like we are about all the other private health questions we ask seems to work best. Any other take-home message about this topic in uh, more mature adults? I have one important take-home message, which is that medicine largely focuses on the individual, but most sexual activity happens in the context of a partnership. So when we're talking to our older patients about sexuality, it's important to also ask about the partner. How's your husband's health? Has he started any new medications lately? How's his sexual function? Um, We have to start to think about people as part of a dyad, as a couple, especially when we explore issues of sexuality. But we know that health, even more broadly, is very much interconnected among people in a long-term relationship. Well, I want to thank Dr. Stacy Tesler Lindau. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Geriatric Medicine and Aging. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, visit us at ReachMD.com.